safety bubbles. Oh, please, for God's sake, he's doing it again. Result. Jeez, postcard here. First time I've gotten a truthful postcard in years. It's a long time. It says, beautiful postcard, see? You know, them funny kinds. Guys stand there with a, you know, a cute one. And it says, haven't missed a thing here in Jamestown, North Dakota. It's a card. That's probably true. I, I, uh, although, you know, there was a hell of a ride down there the other night in the bowling alley in Jamestown, North Dakota. Probably read about that, but we don't want to scrape up, you know, old skeletons and stuff. No, no, not that kind. No, no, it's, uh, according to these commercials tonight, I'm getting to be a kasha cuckoo. Yeah, kasha cuckoo. It says it's easy to fall in the rut when it comes to food. It's also easy to fall in a rut when you're staggering around on a Friday night. But uh, we won't bring that up. It says, you know, you wind up serving the same old food, meal after meal after meal after meal after meal after meal. A rose is a rose is a rose. Tomorrow and tomorrow. and Oh, you know, it gets very literary. But if you'd like to really hit them something the next week, you know, right between the eyes, you give them a serving of Wolf's Kasha. <laughs> yeah. That's Kasha with a K. Are you, I hope you're logging this, friends. Yes, very good. You can use it for almost anything. You can make it into popsicles, make it into a healthy breakfast, dinner, or dessert. Kasha and vodka is kind of nice with a twist of uh, lime peel. Very good. Kasha. K-A-S-H-A. Wolf's Kasha. That's with two Fs. That's the elegant Kasha. And if you're on, uh, you know, the food kick, they call it the Carlton Frederick Syndrome. If, uh, you know, you're lying in your sack there eating nothing but organic foods, well, you should discover Kasha, one of the Earl's, one of the world's oldest health foods. Yeah. Shepherd is a Kasha kook. That's right. I, I had listened, though, but you got to be careful when you get bad Kasha. I had some bad Kasha stuck to the roof of my mouth once for over four months. Just terrible. You get used to it, though, after a while. It begins to grow and sprout there, and you can taste the... There it comes. Come on, bring it up big. Come on, big. And so tonight, our salute to Kasha. Big Marty all the way now. enough. That's enough. Hold it. Hold it there. That's enough. We have ladies with us tonight. Hold it, Bert. God, I play that thing. <laughs> Thank you. 
Oh, that got me right there in the floating rib. Stop it. Stop it. Oh, we'd like to uh, salute tonight, since it is uh, Friday night, you know, and I'm feeling my oats. Bring that bag of oats in there. I want to feel them here a bit, will you? Get me going, right? Ah, gee, they're nice. Getting softer, yeah, real good. They'll be sprouting soon. I shouldn't mention oats in the same show with Kasha, should I, right? And that's what I call the cross-purpose of commercial interest. Salute to Mother. Mother's oats, that's what I'm talking about. Gee, that's a catchy tune. That's the Ham and High Fight song. And uh, very nice. Hey, we would like to... Uh, <clears throat> I don't know whether I should bring this up or not. But it is Friday night, right? And what happens Saturday, right? <clears throat> yeah, that's right. A lot of college football, right? Hey, hey stop it there. Down, boy. Down. Big blue down. I got that hound. That hound's walking around here dribbling, drooling all over my feet. Hate that. God, a smelly hound. When are you going to give that damn dog a bath? He's got barnacles on his gut. Get him out of here. Yeah. Slobbering all over here. Boy, if John Gambling saw what goes on in this studio at night, he'd... Tell you. Well, uh, we would like to uh, salute the... Some guy who wrote a column for somebody out in Jersey. You know, for years. I, I, I think I think our country is so, you know, basically winner-oriented, but there's a large number of us who have a secret compassion for the loser. And uh, last week, and I want you to watch this week to see what happens in the football scores. You know, he's the first columnist that I've seen for a long time who has saluted the worst teams in the nation. And his column is called Scraping Bottom. By, <laughs> by Dick Brinster. And it's in some Jersey paper. I don't know what paper it's in. All I know is that on the back of it, they've got an ad for a place in Asbury Park that sells walkie-talkies. It says, excellent for riot control, so I don't know what's going on over there. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, he says, Scraping Bottom by Dick Brinster. Now listen carefully, you klutzes. Each week, college football fans eagerly await the Associated Press, the United Press International Polls, which rank the nation's finest football teams. Have you noticed they can rank them now like three months before the damn season opens? I've never understood a number one ranked Nebraska. Oh, come on, that's jazzeroni. That's like the same kind of stuff you see in the book ads, you know. Before the book is even published, it says, New, a nationwide bestseller by Lesbia O'Toole, Hearts of Flame. Following up her fantastic smash success, the Ding Dong Serenade. By Charlotte and Press. And, uh, of course, uh, this goes on and on. <laughs> yeah, we're very... But he says maybe it's a good thing they don't try to rate the bottom of the heap because it's even more difficult than deciding who is at the top. Who do you think is the number one rottenest team in the nation right now, according to his poll? What? Navy, are you kidding? I mean, he's talking about bad teams. Like Coming. Like Homing, oh for th they they went oh victories three defeats, but that's not what makes a bad team. It's how you lose. Like Homing gets a special award this week. Sport fans everywhere, they have been outscored in three games by a sixty-seven to three total. That means they're averaging one point a game, and the other team is averaging a hell of a lot. It's sixty-seven <laughs> for Like Homing. Adelphi, oh for two. 
they went pretty good, too. The lousiest game of the week for this coming weekend, watch it, is any game that Lycoming is playing. The romp of the week is Hampton Institute has given up 32, 46, and 74 points in the last three weeks. Their uh, defense. Can they top it this week? Can they hit 90? Well, that's what all of us bad football, you know, the fans of bad football are waiting to see. The teams that are ranked 1 down through 10 as the worst teams in the nation, like Coming, number 1. Number 2, Adelphi. Number 3, Hamilton. Number 4, Norwich. Number 5, Kutztown. Number 6, Case West. They're even worse than Case East. And you know they were the laughing stock of the Little 12 last year. 7, Westchester Teachers. 8, Hampton Institute. 9, Grove City. And 10, way down at the bottom of the heap, just barely making the worst 10, is Oberlin. So we salute all you losers out there. Not one team on that list has won a game. Some of those teams on that list have gone three seasons without scoring a touchdown. So tonight, all you sport fans everywhere, let us get down on our knees before our radio set and pray that Lycoming keeps up its unblemished record. And it looks like it's going to be tough because they're playing the number four team on the ten worst list, so they may conceivably score a point. Big. By the way, special awards. The Navy defense, you're right, dear, has got a special award because it has given up an average of 39.1 points per game. That's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty good. It ain't easy to let the other team score an average. That's an average. That's an average. Now, for those of you who've ever played on a losing football team, you know what a hellish nightmare it is. The guy sent this to me, and he says, Shepard, you probably from listening to you, you're, from experience, you know what this is like. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you, you sense it from the very first play, the first, the opening gun, and the way they come barreling down on you. I'll, I remember the opening kickoff of a game, and uh, we were all lined up, you know, our suits were so clean. And uh, there wasn't anybody in the opening lineup that day that was wearing at least a, a visible bandage, uh, the opening kick, off. And uh, the ball was kicked, and it was a beautiful kick, high in the air. And I moved forward. See, I was up in the front line there. I moved forward to, to do my, as, a, as a Chris Schenkel always says, my blocking chores and my assignment. He always says, a miss, talk about a missed assignment. Out of that, out of that team, the opening kickoff. There were eleven of us that uh, waited for that opening kickoff. Eleven guys missed their assignment, including the guy that was catching the kickoff. It rolled into the end zone, and the game was twelve seconds old, and we were behind seven to nothing. Well, <laughs> we lined up for the kickoff again. This reminded me of that game I saw last week. That the giant a couple of weeks ago, the Giants were involved in. You remember that wild game? No, the one they won, it was fantastic. I know exactly what that other team felt like. We lined up, and I remember when we go back to line up, our, our, uh, our the defensive captain of the team, he says, now, for God's sake, you guys, he says, come on, let's get in it. Let's play. Let's play. And, you know, you hit each other on the shoulder pads, and so we go trotting back out again. And uh, we're going to catch, we're going to receive, you see. And so the other team swept forward. Like a like a whole uh, like a like a tiny group of devils on the horizon, 
They swept forward, and I could just hear that ball. It was kicked. Again, I'm in the front line. See? Thunk, it goes. Line drive kick. And I remember Josway snagged the ball right on the goal line, and he started to move forward. I just caught him out of the, just out of the, out of the glance of my eye. He started to move forward. Shepard moves in to, to carry out his blocking assignment, and that was all I remembered. You don't want to hear the rest of it. Sickening story. That's right. Speaking of sick, what's going on in this? this is W.O.R. New York. What's Keith up to? Huh? Now, shut up. Let's go. Uh, hit that. Uh, we got the Chrysler button. Hit it there. There's a promise for America. Promise for America. Things are going to be all right. A bright new promise just for you. Bright new promise just for you. Chrysler Plymouth. Chrysler Plymouth. Coming through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming through. Chrysler Plymouth. The kind of dealer that you look for. There's something really Let's go. Here we go now. I like this. Boom, boom, boom. The America's number one Chrysler Plymouth dealers. Your Chrysler Plymouth dealers of New York, New Jersey, and Fairfield County. Act now while the price freeze is still on. And we have another one here. We better hit them with it real good. Hit it, Marty, please. Get them songs going. Come on. There we go. Oh, I like nothing but bugles. Shepard enters the arena. The Lions come charging out. Need tires for winter, friend? Don't miss General Tire's great mix-or-match offer. Mix-or-match, the Jet Air 3, General's best four-ply nylon cord tire, and the winter cleat, General's rugged four-ply nylon cord snow tire. Your choice, a two for $38, four for $76. Size 650-13, two plus black wall, plus 176 federal excise tax for tire. White walls are only $3 more each. And larger sizes are also priced in the mixer match sets. His and her tires, yes. Drive into the big General Red G sign near your home or office. My God, we did it. That's 15,000 words there, read in less than 58 seconds. That's the new record. We also should tell you here in the Bronx, visit George Barnett, General Tire Service, One-Legged Avenue. Ask for Vic Ramirez. At General Tire Service, 619 East Fordham Road, the Bronx. Hey, I'm very excited, you know. You notice the nervousness? Can't you tell I'm very nervous tonight? Well, it's not really nervous. Let's put it this way. There's a rising, fantastic tide of anticipation because tomorrow night, this time, I will be on the stage at Bloomfield College. I can hardly wait. <laughs> Bloomfield. They, listen, That's they got such a bad team, they didn't even make the top-bottom. You have to at least get on the national wires to, to, to be on the, the worst ten teams of the nation. Bloomfield was beaten last week by Clifton High. That's the Clifton High freshman. So uh, tomorrow night we're going to be at Bloomfield College this Saturday. That's the 16th. And I'm going to be live as a big old ding-dong. And I'm going to be in the Bloomfield College gym. First winning act they've had in years. I'll be at the Bloomfield College gym in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Hello there. How are you? 
I'll be live, Dad. I'll be live there. Listen, they got the ropes in there. They, they've wired the stage. I'm going to do it. Thank you, George. I'm going to, for the first time this year, George, he's, he's giving me the finger. I know that. The hand is coming out. George, for the first time, I'm going to do my famous underwater ballet, and we're breaking it in the new season at Bloomfield. The stage has been wired. We've paid off the Bloomfield fuzz. I've got a new green bikini. It's going to be... Got a great chorus. Yeah, the whole... Yeah, oh, no, I don't wear it. It's topless. We, we've made that act topless ever since... Uh, oh, two years ago when I saw... I went into this topless Chinese... This Chinese takeout food joint in San Francisco... There's a takeout food joint. They didn't even have it. And, and, and what was worse, the guy, there was a 67-year-old guy standing in there, topless and bottomless. It was a disgusting thing. I'm telling you, sex is right. For ticket information, call area code. Get out of here, man. For area code. Remember, ticket information, call area code 201. That's Jersey. 748-9000. I don't think it's, it's too late for that now. We're going to be there tomorrow. Can they still call tomorrow? Hey, baby. Well, all right. And incidentally, uh, if you get in there early, we're going to be at the Bloomfield College Bookstore in Knox Hall between 3 and 5 p.m. tomorrow before the show, autographing and writing in the front pages the obscenities that I have was forced by public opinion and by they, the administration, and by the evil establishment, the stuff I couldn't really put in. You'll find it. I'll write it in the front of your Wanda Hickey's Night of Gold Memories, right? Tomorrow, 3 to 5 p.m., the Bloomfield College Bookstore, Canucks Hall. Oh, no, no. I'm getting very conscious of my pronunciation. That's spelled K-N-O-X. That's Canucks. That's right. And don't forget, uh, according to this note, it says, this is W-O-R, New York. It's, it's, it's got a little arrow next to it. I have to read this little note on it. Jimmy McAuley says, either you read this, friend, or George is going to find out. What does he mean by that? Who's, what, who's George? I know George. He said, this is WR New York, 710 on your jet action dial. That's a warning. That's a warning. Get sick again. Here are the jets. All right, let's see. Uh, well, no, 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 no. The, uh, the carnage is their great offensive line. Charges crunchingly into the opponent's line. Yes. Oh, chops them up terrible. Oh, that's a oh, that's a tough team. The Jets. How many have they lost this year? Oh, we have a note here from somebody. I, I suppose I should tell him. Uh, uh, it's none of his damn business. But uh, here's a uh, yeah. Here's an elegant thing. Uh, signs of the times. This is going into my vast file of trivia here. No, it's on the gentleman's elegant. Fashion page of a newspaper. Again, I don't know which paper it is. My uh, spies keep just sending in these things. They never let me know what papers they're from. But it's a, it's a, it's a paper that has a page of, of sartorial elegance on it. And uh, the sartorial elegance department this week is for policemen. Yes, it says a city policeman for elegance. A police officer should feel as comfortable and elegant in his clothes as a neatly attired business or professional man. That's why designers for a sportscaster had in mind appeal as well as function when they put together this elegant utility riot suit. Marvin E. Burke and his son, Gary Burke, owners of Sportscaster, the Seattle-based outfit, has put out this elegant riot suit, which is worn by all the best-dressed policemen who not only wish to be functional, but wish to be elegant when they're, you know 
thrashing about dealing with the rioters. It says, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm not being funny. There it is. Do you want to hear how the elegant riot suit is? Uh, it says Montgomery, the professor, the, uh, the policeman on the elegant uh, photograph here, as he stands in his riot suit. You see him standing in a dramatic pose. It says, uh, Officer Montgomery demonstrates an active pose with his long, tapered, elegant baton, his boots and helmet, which just set off the swank, multi-zippered riot suit in its tasty forest green, impressive in its fashion as it is in its utility. Uh, Officer Stewart, who is seated on his Harley-Davidson, his, off- his uniform is also an elegant forest green trimmed with olive black, while Sportscaster is best known for its style and quality of its ski wear, they are now moving into styling the more elegant riot control officers. It says, the, from all the comforts of details, like zippers for easy off, easy on pants, snug cuffs, special ventilation flaps across the shoulder, and special hand grenade pockets that are tastefully cut and uh, elegantly lined to prevent stains and so on. It says, this is what the new well-dressed elegant, I'm holding this up here, I wish Virginia Graham would do a thing on this or somebody. This is what the new uh, riot officer will wear. You notice how, how tapered? It's a tapered suit there, and it's made of a special flame-proof material deal with Molotov cocktails, and yet at the same time it can be worn at the beach. Nice. Okay, uh, I'm just keeping you up with what's happening in the world. And I somebody uh, wrote me a note and said, uh, in connection with that, it's a shepherd. Are you listening now? It's okay. It says, Shepard. Well, I mean, there, there is a form of shock that comes when I can notice the, the catatonic stare. It says, Shepard, were you ever in jail? That's, that's what the note said. Now, I'm, I'm kind of up against it here at this point. You know, there's so many guys that are trading in on the fact that they once were in jail because they had a parking ticket. You know, that's called the Johnny Cash Syndrome. And they're going around for years making a career out of it, singing about cruel, falsome jail or whatever it is that they once spent overnight. You know, the arms sprung it on them because they left their truck parked sideways in somebody's driveway. Uh, I, I, uh, you, you ain't nothing in this racket any longer unless you, you know, spend a little time in the slam. Now, there are those of us who have and there are those of us who haven't. Now, the question the kid asked was uh, direct and to the point, Shepard. And I think the I think the public has a right to know, don't you? Oh yeah, and a pig, you know what? As a matter of fact, uh, this uh, this note here it says, Shepard, were you ever in jail? Signed, an expectant admirer. Now I don't know what kind of an expectant admirer that is. There are all kinds of expectants. That kind of a, if it's the kind of expectant that I'm thinking of, that could land you in the slam too if you're not careful. However. Uh, this uh, admirer wishes to know this. I don't know whether it's an admirer or somebody on my trail. I can't tell. Now, uh, the question that I would like to put before the House tonight is this, before this Senate committee. By the way, have you noticed that there's now, that after Ralph Nader's name now has appeared an official title, it's called Consumer Advocate, and it's in caps now. How do you get that title? I mean, where do you get that? He's, is, is, he, is he advocating you? Marty? I, that's what I thought. But the, he reminds me a lot of my, my Aunt Clara. Yeah, who's Kvetch. He also reminds me a little of the late Joseph McCarthy in his technique. 
Oh, yeah, I'm not putting him down, but his technique. And he's always sending a, a team of idealistic young investigators who appear and spend two days investigating an entire industry. And six days later, they turn out a 400-page volume complete with figures. How many... How, you know, Cohn is in the news tonight, isn't he? Well, I'm going to ask you a trivia question. Is there anybody out there who remembers another idealistic young investigator, <laughs> quote, who worked with Mr. Cohn? And uh, what was his name? That's a bad word. Don't use that in this day of integration. Stop it. Now, what was his name? Will you stop it now? I don't want to hear that. Now, come on. I'll award you a brass fig to give with bronze oak leaf cluster. <laughs> they had a tendency to come back with total information and facts and figures. They also had everybody scared out of their shoes, too, for no good reason. But uh, he reminds me a little bit of him. He was always before a committee denouncing and waving a thing. I have here 7,922 absolute un... Absolutely qualified instances where the number seven Sig Newton in the number twelve Buick, what a nasty, has caused the following things to happen. And I defy General Motors. Of course, within five minutes, vice presidents are going down the drain. People are screaming. But that's uh, that's all part of our time. We love to have. Uh, that's the Joan of Arc syndrome. What was it? What was it that uh, that? Uh, <laughs> Listen, baby, if she was out working today, she would be on the Johnny Carson show and she'd be turning out she'd be turning out records for Columbia. You better believe it. But uh, that's uh, you know, that's only here hearsay. That's just the way life is. And this kid asked me a question. Were you ever in jail? Now I'm gonna put it before the house here tonight, before we go any further. Is there anybody out there who wants to know the answer to that question? I don't want to offend anybody. Is there anybody out there who would like to know the answer? I mean, would you like to know whether I have ever been in the slam or not? Or would you prefer to keep it a, you know, mystery? Would you like that? You would prefer to keep it mystery? You mean why I was in or whether I was in? What do you mean? Well, I'll have to tell you, uh, I, I just better not, I better not deal with this, is it? Because the, uh, you know, some remnants of the old mob might still be out there, and I don't want to cause any trouble. But uh, <laughs> somebody called in and said, who? Who? Sonny Jurgensen? No, he wasn't with He didn't work with the, with the Shine. That's it. There you got it. That's correct, Demo. Yeah. Where is David Shine tonight? Huh? <laughs> he was another one of those guys. <laughs> but uh, neither. Yeah, has, have you ever? Uh, I'm, I'm talking about pure technique. Has it occurred to you there is a parallel in the technique between the late Joseph McCarthy's technique and uh, and Nader's technique? He keeps leaping from one thing to the other all the time. One minute he's denouncing hamburgers, and five minutes later he's denouncing plastic-bottomed outboard motors. And uh, and he's always got a big book to prove it, which has somehow mysteriously been written in the last ten hours. Uh, containing irrefutable figures. That's fascinating. Yeah, I, I'm, and I'm not putting them down. I'm just saying it's a fascinating technique. But uh, somebody did call, and uh, you mean somebody wants to hear whether I was in the slam or not? All right. Okay. I'll tell you the time I was in the slam. 
Well, I, this was just one time. Uh, I'll just just let it go at that. The first time I really felt it. It's fascinating. Yeah, it was fascinating how quick you can you can find yourself in trouble. And uh, and I'm not I'm not one of these people who like to believe that everybody's in the slam is beautiful and, and innocent. Not at all. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. A lot of guys did some bad things, and there's no question about it. But uh, here, here's how I landed in the slam one night. And this is, I'll just tell you, just the way it is, I will not color the facts. I will just lay it out the way it happened. I'm in Washington. Yeah, this is the way it was. I'm in Washington, D.C., which is uh, our nation's capital. Uh, any of you have any questions about it, it's located on the eastern seaboard. And it's a rather large city. It has these buildings, white marble and all that. Big things sticking up. I forget. The, the, what's that big thing sticking up? The Sky Ride or something they've got there? It's a big thing. And uh, I was in our nation's capital one night, and I happened to be employed at that time in a very lowly capacity by the U.S. government. I was in the... I, well, actually, they, the one thing they did do, they gave you your clothes. And uh, I was employed by the U.S. government in, a, in an organization known as the Signal Corps. Uh, let's put it this way. I was a yard bird, a dog face. Uh, there are other expressions which we used in the organization to describe the state that I was in, rank-wise, which I cannot use on the air tonight because there are women and children. No, no, I can't. Come on, are you kidding? You know what it is. I don't have to tell you. So anyway, I'm walking around, and I, I have I have received a uh, a weekend pass, a long weekend pass. In fact, I had uh, I had a four-day pass, a kind of unusual, yeah, and uh, I had... Uh, Traded a guy for KP, a couple of things. So I had four days at my disposal. Now, uh, I had in my pocket probably, uh, oh, maybe uh, $35 total, which was a lot of kale. That's right. So uh, I walked out. This innocently. This is how you innocently walk into into the mousetrap. You just walk right into it, friends, and you just know. No. A life of crime, once begun, is uh, is almost impossible to get out of especially when you walk into it backwards, innocently. So I'm walking around in, in Washington, see, so I I decided that what I was going to do, I was going to go home for this four days. See, I figured I could have a day or two home. And I had not been home to, I don't know why I wanted to go home. There's nobody seriously ever wants to go to Hammond, Indiana. And I, I just felt I ought to do it uh, because I hadn't been home, like, for two years. And they were starting to worry and stuff. And since I never wrote or anything... and and uh, they and once once in a while they'd get a letter from the government about my insurance. My mother was worried because after all this time I was still a PFC, so she figured something must have happened. <laughs> I mean, I, one way or the other. So I, I I decided on this day on this day that I was going to go home. It was in fact it was on a Saturday night that this happened. It was a Friday night I made the decision, and it was like late Friday night, early Saturday morning, like a couple of hours from now when I began my. My life of Slamville. So I'm I'm walking around town in in uh, Washington, trying to figure out how I'm going to get to Hammond, Indiana. Well, I obviously couldn't afford a plane ticket with the kind of scratch I had in my pocket. So I went down to the there was, there was an Air Force base down there, say where you could if you hung around and looked sad enough, and a plane was going within 5,000 miles of where you were going, they may take you along. Forget it. I mean, the only planes that were going out were heading to Greenland. And uh, it would have been kind of nice to... I would have been better off, actually, the way it finally worked out if I had spent the weekend in Greenland. But uh, I uh, decided against that because once you land in a place like that, they may get ideas and keep you there. They, you know, you don't want to give anybody ideas. So 
I'm I'm uh, sweating it out. And so finally I go down to the train station. I never think of trains. I never ride on trains. You know, trains are something I never really rode on. So somebody says at the USO, how come you don't go on the train? I said, the train? How long does it take to get to Chicago on a train? Oh, guy says, oh, weeks. But uh, what the hell, you know? And so I said, well, all right, I'll go down there. Well, I went down to the train station, and they had a special rate for GIs, I discovered, which I did not know until then. And uh, I stood in line with a bunch of other people, and I bought a ticket. And I was able to get a ticket, special rate. It cost me something like $31 round trip, a special GI rate. And that, that, that didn't include anything like uh, seed or anything like that. I mean, at, at that rate, uh, you didn't get things like, uh, you know, Pullman or anything like that, uh, dining cars. So uh, <laughs> the train was to leave in about two hours. Now it was about, uh, oh, maybe 9 o'clock. And so I went over to the USO. I was really scratching. Now I had about $3 in my pocket. I was really down on my upper seat. So uh, I walked over to the USO, and there was this buddy of mine over there, Metropolis. He was in the USO, and I said, hey, Metropolis, I'm going home. He said, yeah, really? And uh, I had never gone home before. See, so this was all a new thing to me. Two years, I hadn't gone home. So uh, Metropolis says, man, he says, watch out watch out for them MPs on the train. I said, what do you mean? I didn't know they had any. He says, yeah, they got MPs on the train. Watch out, man. You better have your pass in your pocket. You better be right, you know, right there. Remember your serial number and all that stuff. So I said, oh, no kidding. Little realizing he was telling me the truth. And he's laying it down. So I said, oh, don't worry about that. I know my serial number. It's about the only thing I know. I know that. So Metropolis says, well, man, hang in. So I go back to the train station. And sure enough, everybody's getting on a train now. It's leaving at 11 o'clock. And it was a special train. Did you ever hear of the Capital Limited? Yeah, it was a Capital Limited I'm getting on, see? And I'd heard guys sing songs about that train. But I, if I ever sang my song about that train, friends, I'd love to get sued. So uh, I wind up in line with a lot of people getting on the train. I'm very innocent, saying I'm all excited, and I've got my DOP kit with me, and you know, DOP kit stuff and stuff. I'm going to go home, and uh, I, I, I walk through the train, and every seat on the train was reserved. Now, that's important, and I had a reserved ticket. I mean, you know, they gave me a seat. So I go back to car 42, seat 12D or whatever it was, and there it's a blue seat, and I sit down in it. And um, I'm all excited. I got my ticket stuck in my GI blouse. I had this Eisenhower blouse, you know. So uh, the train slowly starts to move. And you know that exciting moment when a train starts to move? It's kind of dim in there, and the lights, and the lights get dim. And, it's tra- and it looked like the whole, like the, the, the platform was moving. You didn't even feel like the train was moving. The platform starts to move. And I see all these people sitting around, elegant people all around. And I was the only enlisted man in the entire car. It was I later found out it was kind of unusual, but it was the truth. There were a couple of captains. There was a major up there, and there was a there was a commander coming back from some place, an elegant-looking commander. You know how they really look elegant, you know, in dress blues. And there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of racketeers and you know guys with their chicks and everything all sitting around. And there I am in the middle of it. There, see, with my PFC stripe, and I've got my uniform all nicely pressed. I got it pressed at the USO, so. I'm ready to go. I got clean underwear on, everything seen. So I'm rolling out into the countryside. Well, now I'll have to explain something. Since I had traded KP the day before uh, to to get out, I had to take KP. You see, the day before I had traded, some guy's taking it from me now. It gave me four days. I had worked like 18 hours on KP, and I had had a reveille in this morning after finishing KP, like at 5:15, and I have not slept like for it seems like three days. 
So I'm really, really sleepy. And, you know, I was so sleepy. You know that kind where you can't focus your eyes and your eyes are burning? So I sat down in my blue seat, and we rolled out over the, over the Virginia countryside. It was blackout, dark, and once in a while you hear mentioning a town, we're rolling through and we're rolling away. And the conductor came down the aisle, and uh, he's asking for tickets. So I reach in my GI blouse, and I have a ticket. I pull it out, and he, he tears something off of it. I don't, I'm always, that's always mysterious to me, what they do with tickets. Have you noticed some people in the next seat seem to just have a little card they show them, and he clips it or something, and they put it in their pocket. Other people have a long thing, a long stringy thing that comes out with, with dotted lines and everything on it, and they sign things, and they rip it off. Well, I had just an ordinary-looking ticket, like printed on toilet paper or something, you know, it was a bad-looking ticket. So he, he takes, he tears off a little piece of it, and he says, uh, where are you going? And I told him I was heading to Chicago, okay? And uh, so then he put a little thing on the front of the seat ahead of me, just in front of me, you know, the little slot, a little thing that had a thing on it, a little number on it, see? Little did I realize this was significant. I just thought that that was a little thing to him that says he looked at the ticket, right? So I'm rolling out. Well... It's now about midnight, and I'm really tired. And a guy comes along. I had not eaten. And a guy comes along down the aisle, and he's got a, a one of these things hanging in front of him like a vendor at a ballpark. And uh, he's selling these cardboard sandwiches, see, with the plastic bologna in it. Well, since this was new to me, I thought, uh, you know, I thought they'd be elegant somehow being on a train. So I get the sandwich, and I, I buy one. It was 60 cents, some terrible price. Now, I had about $3 in my pocket, say, so... I, I was hungry, so I bought this this uh, liverwurst sandwich. I don't know what kind of liverwurst they had. It was like they made this liverwurst out of old ground-up shoe heels or something, see. But I was hungry. I ate the wrapper and the whole bit, see, and I had this orange thing. He gave me a little can of orange, which I bought for another 40 cents. I blew a buck right there. So I drank this orange, and I was still thirsty. So I ate the carton and everything. You know, I, I chewed the wax off of it. And the people were all sitting around, and one man, and they, oh, I'll never forget what happened that night, because this one man across from me, he leans across to me, and he says, uh, gee, uh, Signal Corps, a soldier? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, the very interesting outfit. And I said, yeah, I suppose. I mean, if you like a bed of nails or something, I suppose it's interesting. You know, I suppose being caught in a, in a, in a, in a flash forest fire is interesting, you know, if you look at it one way. And he says, a very good outfit. He said, they're very interesting. We do a lot of business with your outfit. Okay. I could see this was high money. So I'm leaning back, and the next thing I know, I am dead asleep. Fell asleep completely. Gee, it felt great. The, the, the train is rocking. And I'm asleep. It was one of the most interesting sleeps I've ever had. Because it seemed like Almost instantaneously. I didn't even remember sleeping or anything. You know, sometimes you sleep so soundly, you don't dream, you just plunge into a coma. There's blackness. And the next thing I know, I wake up, somebody is shaking me very roughly, and somebody is pressing something in the back of my neck. And I look up, and it's dark. At first, I didn't know where I was. You know, at late at night, they turn the lights out in the car as they dim them so everybody can sleep. It's very dim. I wake up, and I see this face looking right down at me. He's looking right over me. And he's got a big hat on, and I see it's the conductor. And I said, 
Huh? What? What? He said, where's your ticket, soldier? Let me see your ticket. I said, ticket? You, you, you already took the ticket. He said, I never saw you before. Let me see your ticket. I said, ticket? T- I, I, I gave... And the two guys standing behind him, one of them pressing a thing in the back of my neck, were two MPs with the big white hats and the white bands, and they were just looking down at me. And one of them says, get your ticket out, soldier, and get it out quick. I reach into my pocket. I had opened my coat, you see, so I was I could sleep. I just kept it on. I opened No ticket. It's gone. It is gone from inside my coat. I, sp- I-, I-, I showed it to you. And I-, I said, that guy, that man over there, he remembers. And here was the other guy, the man who had just talked to me. He's asleep. They wake him up. He looks me right in the eye and says, I never saw him before. My God. There I am, no ticket. And I said, well, you put this thing in the front. He says, I don't see no check on that front of that seat there. What were you doing, hiding back in the baggage car? Did you sneak forward or something as soon as we got going? Did you hide back here? I said, where are we? I've got a ticket. I bought it. I said, I bought it back in Washington. And I'm getting scared. Well, the train slowed up. They literally made a stop for me. They slowed up the train, and these two MPs took me down to the end of the car, and one of them said, let me see your pass, soldier. He said, let me see your pass. I reach into my pocket. I had a wallet. I get... My wallet's gone. Somebody has neatly shucked me while I was asleep. I said, my wallet. I, I got a pass. He said, what I fit you in? I said, 3160 Airborne, uh, Signal Airborne Battalion. He said, you're in trouble. He says, that's what we're here for. We're picking up deserters in AWOL. And the train is slowly stopping. And the three of us, me and the two MPs, get off. And ten minutes later, I am in a cell in a town called Dry Run, Pennsylvania. Is there a Dry Run, Pennsylvania? I'm telling you, so help me God, I'm raising my hand. I couldn't believe it. I thought they were putting me on. I'm sitting in this slam. And five minutes later, them two MPs just depart. And there I sat. What a sheriff sitting out in front. Once in a while, he'd come back and say, You want coffee, bud? I'd say, Yeah, I need something. And that was the beginning. I don't want to tell you the rest of the story. But it was a very interesting four days. I'll give you a clue. I never did get home. And I might point out, in the slam in Dry Run, Pennsylvania, they serve fantastic pancakes in the morning. They don't give you no syrup with it, but they give you plenty of pancakes and black coffee. And then they gave me a roommate. You want to hear about him? (laughs) Oh, man. I'll see you tomorrow at Bloomfield. (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.